Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea Studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. Happy Friday. I hope you had a great week as it closes out and are preparing for the weekend. A rare weekend of no hockey for the Anaheim Ducks. But the team is hosting the San Jose Sharks tonight, being Friday, as their third meeting already this season. The previous games were back in the first week of November on the first and fifth of the month. Both of them shoot out wins for the Anaheim Ducks. So hopefully we see that again in this game. Maybe not taking it to a shootout, though, would be great to maybe see a regulation win. The Sharks continue to be led by Eric Carlson this season. The defenseman has 35 points so far. Very impressive from him this year as he continues to lead this group. A piece of news for the Ducks this week. They claimed forward Jason Magna on waivers on Tuesday from the Colorado Avalanche. And he will make his debut with the Ducks versus the Sharks tonight. How perfect as his brother Jacob plays for the Sharks as a defenseman. He shared this morning that his parents are in town and they all went to dinner on Thursday night ahead of the game. We also will see the return of John Klingberg back into the lineup tonight against the Sharks after he missed some games with a lower body injury. Now, earlier this week, I mentioned how the Ducks were taking part in some community events throughout the week, including a holiday shopping spree, as well as a chalk hospital visit on Thursday. I caught up with Max Comtois, who took part in both of the events this week to hear about how rewarding each of the experiences were. Pretty cool. It was my first time doing it. Um, I think with the COVID situation, it's hard for, for us to, to be part of the community and, and do those things. So, uh, you know, just to be there and put some smile on, on those kids' faces, it was, uh, it was awesome. And um, it's always something that me and my wife look forward to to, to participate in. And, uh, you know, it was just a good day overall. Going to Chalk on Thursday, what was that experience like? It was really fun. It was my actually my second time. Um, it's you know it put things in, in perspective for for us uh, as athletes that you know nothing is is really that bad in our life and uh, it's cool to, to see them um, you know put their smile a little bit um, in their and on their faces and um, yeah they were excited to see us and us as well. We were just excited to, to be there and deliver some some gift and, and see the parents and talk to them and just you know put them uh, make them you know think about something else than, than their situation and it was just you know, really excited to be there no ad's takeaways today so it's time to go coast to coast to hear some of the best goal calls from around the nhl the buffalo sabers and columbus blue jackets game on wednesday night was outstanding a big win for the sabers Nine to four, nine goals in this hockey game. We keep talking about how many goals are being scored this season, these high scoring games. And this one was crazy, especially the first period. Tage Thompson for the Sabres has been unreal this season. He now has 21 goals after netting five of them on Wednesday, including four in the first period alone. Not only is it difficult to score four goals in the first period, but all of them coming from one singular player in the National Hockey League at this level of hockey, it is insanely impressive. Tage Thompson has just been tearing it up this year. 
Hear the radio call now from WGR's 550 AM. This is Alex Tuck. Far side. Thompson scores! Tate Thompson with a five-goal night. Can you believe it? 7-2. Sabres with 3.53 to go in the second period. That's how you silence a bit of a rally by the Blue Jackets. And we're keeping it short today with just one more goal call coming from the Washington Capitals and Philadelphia Flyers game also on Wednesday night. A 4-1 to win for the Capitals, and Alex Ovechkin just keeps climbing, grabbing two empty net goals in this one. This brings his total to 795 career goals. Ovi is now officially 99 goals away from 99's record, Wayne Gretzky. So it brings up the question, how realistic does it seem for him to get that record? I'm going to go on the record and say that I think he's going to get it. As long as he stays healthy, I think he can get to this record. I know it's still a lot of goals to go, but the rate that he's been producing still, I think he can do it. You can hear the goal call now from Capitals Radio Network play-by-play broadcaster John Walton. A slim chance. Provorov from the outside. Sandheim with a chance in front for connecting, and he can't get the shot away. And now the Capitals on a break. Here's Ovechkin again toward the empty net. He will score two goals for Alex Ovechkin, and it's four to one Washington. Ovechkin mixing it up a little bit with a couple of flyers who didn't seem to like the fact he delayed in punching it home, perhaps. Now, a voice that sounds very familiar. Joined me today in the Paul Korea studio, Dan Wood, our color commentator for Ducks games right here on Duckstream. We talked through his experience living in the Bay Area and how it impacted his passion for hockey. Plus, we dive into his career transitioning from being a sports writer to sports broadcaster. Listen in in this next segment. Joining Light the Lamp now is our very own Dan Wood. Dan, how are you doing today? Welcome to the studio. Alexis, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. Let's talk a little bit about your background. I mean, people have listened to you for years now, but they might not know too much about you. So let's go back to where you grew up and how you got interested in hockey. Well, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, I was... I guess, nine years old when uh, the NHL expanded and the SEALs came into being. And uh, the reason I like sports is because of my dad, because he was a big sports fan and he got me into it. But my dad was never a hockey guy. He had no interest in hockey whatsoever. But as it turned out, I had a neighbor who uh, I was friends with and his dad They were from the Midwest, and uh, his dad was a big hockey guy. So he used to take us to Seals games when I was a kid. And uh, he also um, fashioned hockey sticks for us out of wood and fiberglass. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we would play roller hockey uh, in the driveway uh, of their house. And roller hockey, I'm not talking about roller blades. I'm talking about the old-fashioned roller skates Mm. that we would play with. And um, that's kind of where my introduction to hockey began was was playing uh, in the driveway and, you know, going to SEALs games. And I always liked hockey from that point on. Of course, I was in high school or maybe my first year of college when the SEALs moved away 
And, uh, you know, from then until 1991, when the Sharks came into being, there really wasn't much hockey in the Bay Area or even hockey uh, interest. And uh, I sort of lost touch with the sport, uh, followed it as best I could. In those days, there was no national TV or anything, but I still kind of kept an eye on it as best I could. And then uh, when the Seals came, or pardon me, the Sharks came along, uh, I was working for a newspaper in the Bay Area, and uh, there were only two people on the staff that even knew what a hockey puck was. Mm. So it was a matter of which one of us was going to cover <laughs> hockey. And it turned out to be me, and here we are all these years later, <laughs> and I'm still involved with the sport. So uh, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. When you were watching hockey, you know, at that young age, did you have a favorite player? I had favorite teams. Okay. Uh, I liked the Blackhawks and the Bruins for whatever reason. I <laughs> guess Bobby Hull and Bobby Orr would be a big reason why in each case. Uh, you know, they were the ones, and Stan Makita, who played with Bobby Hull with the Blackhawks, obviously. Uh, you know, they were the teams that I kind of gravitated toward even back in the original six era. And then, you know, when the Seals came along, I rooted for the Seals, but they really didn't have any players that were worth considering your favorites. So I guess I really didn't there. Well, you've seen hockey grow over the years in the state of California. So from your perspective, how has that been? It's been awesome. Um, you know, as I said, prior to the Sharks coming about, um, you know, the only hockey in California was the Kings. And I did uh, two or three times come down to Southern California specifically to go to Kings games. I remember seeing uh, the Oilers play the Kings when Wayne Gretzky was still with the Oilers. And there was a weekend where the Oilers were in one night and the Calgary Flames were in another night. And, uh, you know, back at the forum going to those games and just, uh, you know, being able to see the NHL, which wasn't possible in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I remember when the Bay Area was trying to get an expansion team. And there were a number of times when we thought maybe it would happen, but it didn't. And finally, uh, with the help of Bruce McNall, who was the owner of the Kings in those days, uh, you know, helping push for it, they did manage to uh, get an expansion team in San Jose, although the first couple of years were played at the Cow Palace in Daly City. And then it was interesting because I had started playing rec hockey, men's league hockey, um, and, uh, you know, the youth hockey in the Bay Area was was pretty nondescript, but it started growing real quick, you know, when mm -hmm. Gretzky was traded to the Kings, even though uh, that was in L.A., uh, there was kind of a ripple effect in the Bay Area. More kids started playing, more adults started playing. When the Sharks came along, uh, the reception was tremendous. I mean, the, the fan base in the Bay Area was all in on this new NHL team. And then it's just grown exponentially from there. You know, my son played hockey um, and, and watching the, the youth players. And, uh, you know, my son played um, against Matt Nieto, who is mm. now with the Sharks. Um, there were a number of other, my son was a 93-born. There were a number of 92-born players who, uh, you know, had had good careers. Emerson Edom, a former Duck, mm -hmm. was on the same team as Matt Nieto. And, um, you know, we've seen, my son played with Rocco Grimaldi, who's now playing in San Diego with the Gulls. Um, and a lot of kids who, uh, you know, we saw as 10, 12, 14-year-olds who have gone on to have 
either successful college or junior careers, and in some cases to the NHL. And we see it more and more now with kids uh, from California who don't even necessarily have to leave and go elsewhere to further their hockey careers. So it's been a lot of fun watching that evolve. When you look at your career, you began in writing. Was that always the plan for you? It was. I went to college with the sole intention of becoming a sports writer. And that's what I always wanted to be, at least once I realized I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, which is what <laughs> I really wanted to be. Hockey or what sport? Uh, more baseball. Okay. Um, I, I played baseball growing up, uh, you know, my entire life and, and played in high school and, uh, you know, had a, had a pretty good high school career, if I do say so myself. But uh, when I went to college, I tried to walk on at San Jose State, mm. and I quickly realized, you know, this is not going to happen because there were so many players who were so much better than I was. So at that point, I decided, okay, my, my sports career is over, and I need to focus on uh, something else. And what I really wanted to do was be a sports writer. So I, you know, majored in journalism, and that's all I ever wanted to do, uh, you know, how you'll always have a an employment review, and they'll say, well, where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years? My answer always was, I want to be right where I am now. I want to be writing sports and covering sports. And, um, you know, I, I feel very fortunate because I, I enjoyed my newspaper time immensely. Mm -hmm. But there came a time when I was a little concerned about my job security in the newspaper industry. So I started looking elsewhere. And to make a long story short, uh, the Ducks radio color analyst job opened up when Brent Severin left. And um, I threw my hat in the ring, figuring I had no chance whatsoever. But I think basically I bothered Aaron Teets <laughs> so much and so many times <laughs> and had so many people, uh, you know, write emails or make phone calls on mm -hmm. my behalf that Aaron finally just said, you know what, the heck with it. Just call off the dogs and we'll give you a chance. And uh, I, I feel really grateful to the Ducks and to Aaron for making that outside-the-box decision because I had no radio experience. The only thing I had going for me was I knew the Ducks organization, and I think I had a good reputation as being, you know, a, a competent and credible person. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I've been doing this job since 2009, and I feel like I've basically had two careers and have never worked a day in my life because I've enjoyed them both so much. So it's been, it's been a blessing for sure. What was the transition like from writing to broadcasting for you? Um, it was a little tricky only in one sense because the way I've always looked at it is my job has been to get information and relay that information to consumers. And initially, it was through the written word in the newspaper world. Now it's through the spoken word on radio. But basically, the, the idea is the same. Just get information and give it to your readers or your listeners. The only tricky part for me is I had always been an independent reporter, and my job was to uh, get the real story. And I never mm -hmm. considered myself a muckraker or someone who was trying to dig up dirt. But if there was something to be reported, it was my job to do that. And there were times, not many, but there were a few times 
when maybe I rubbed a coach or a player the wrong way because I was trying to get the truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, as a team employee, uh, the Ducks signed my paychecks. So now uh, it's definitely in my best interest to paint the picture uh, as positively as you can while still maintaining credibility with our listeners. Um, but there are times when maybe there's a question that I want to ask that I don't or, um, you know, realizing that it's not in my best interest or my employer's best interest to dig up some fact. Um, so that was the only real difficult thing was kind of backing off Mm -hmm. from that, uh, journalist mentality and uh, adopting a more team-friendly broadcast mentality. So, Dan, this was something that we kind of spoke about before jumping on this interview, but the way that the industry has changed. I mean, you had your transition to broadcasting, but now we look at the way it's transitioning to very digital and social, and we have this great platform in DuckStream to share all these different stories as well. But what kind of advice would you give to someone young trying to get into journalism in this world with the way it's changing? Well, it's a really good question, Alexis, because uh, actually Steve Carroll, my broadcast partner, and I, we get approached from time to time by, uh, you know, either high school or college students. And basically the question is, how do I get your job? Mm -hmm. And um, it's different now than it was when I was that age, because in those days, uh, all I focused on was being a sports writer. And that was enough uh, because there were newspaper jobs available. Nowadays, though, uh, things are different. Uh, People need to be much more well-rounded. They need to be capable of not only writing, but also being in front of a camera, being behind a camera, maybe being well-versed in public relations and things like that. So what I tell young people who want to work in sports journalism of any kind is get as much experience as you can doing as many different things as you can, because when you go out to look for a job, you're going to have a lot more opportunities if you are well-rounded and can do different things. And to me, that seems really hard Mm -hmm. because I never had to do that. And now, uh, you know, I, I think it's imperative for kids to do that. And the other thing that a lot of younger people don't seem to understand is you have to pay your dues. You have to work your way up. You don't start out being the play-by-play voice of an NHL team or a color analyst for an NHL team. Um, you know, you might have to broadcast high school sports or minor league sports for many years before you get that opportunity But I consider that a good thing because when I started out in the newspaper world, I was covering little league games and youth sports and high school sports. And you learn a lot doing that because when you're covering professional sports, you have, uh, you know, media relations people handing you things, Mm -hmm. giving you statistics, giving you media guides, giving you uh, everything. And when you're covering high school sports or youth sports, you don't. You have to dig all of that up yourself. And you learn an awful lot by doing things the hard way. Steve Carroll will tell you the same thing. He worked for many years Mm -hmm. uh, doing minor league baseball, minor league hockey. And, uh, you know, it, it may not be what you want, but 
you're going to get a lot better if you do that. So a young person needs to be well-rounded and they need to be willing to pay their dues to get to the ultimate destination. And most important, don't be so focused on that ultimate destination. Enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. Because when I look back on my time as a newspaper writer, I can honestly say some of my best memories are covering teams or individuals who, um, you know, were, were kids or were high school teams. Um, I covered Randy Johnson as a pitcher in high school, mm. and he went on to win God knows how many Cy Young Awards, <laughs> World Series, and so forth. And I remember Randy Johnson as a 17-year-old kid being a better basketball player than he was a baseball player in mm. high school. And there are a lot of other examples I could give that no one would have ever heard of these people. But when I look back on what I've done in journalism, be it newspaper or radio, of course I remember covering the Ducks winning a Stanley Cup. Of course I remember people like Paul Correa and Tamus Solani and Scott Niedermeyer, et cetera. But I also remember kids that no one's ever heard of, mm -hmm. but they were great stories and they were really fun to cover. That's one of the most special parts about journalism. I definitely agree with that. Just those moments that you have throughout your career and mm -hmm. that that stick out to you that were special. And I think something that probably was very special for you that happened not too long ago, your 1,000th game with the Ducks. Uh, what were the emotions like that night for you? It was odd because I'll be honest, I had been shooting for that Um for a number of years. I mean, it was something that I wanted to achieve mm -hmm. was reaching a thousand games because in hockey, uh, a thousand games for a player is a huge milestone. And obviously it's not nearly as big of a deal for a broadcaster, but it's still a nice round number. And I definitely wanted to get to a thousand. Um, to be honest, I wanted to get to a thousand consecutive games. Mm. And I missed out on that because just about a year ago, I had a health situation that forced me to miss one game, the only game I've ever missed since taking this job. And I was pretty disappointed about that because mm -hmm. I really enjoyed having the media guide say I had done X number of, a, of consecutive games. Mm. But I still you know, made it to 1,000, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. I want to go back and figure out how many games I covered as a sports writer because I'm sure that's more than a thousand. <laughs> For sure. Um, but I, uh, it's not as easy to track that. But the actual uh, game in Detroit, um, I was really sort of uncomfortable because I've never been one who likes having attention on myself. And there was a fair bit of attention uh, during our broadcast. You know, Steve asked me about it and we did a segment or two uh, talking about it. And I had a number of people congratulating me, which was nice, don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but I've, I've never really enjoyed that. And even uh, that night getting on the bus after the game in Detroit, um, you know, one of the assistant coaches congratulated me, and I was surprised that he was even aware of it, but um, I was just a little uncomfortable, so I was kind of glad when it was over. Well, we were happy to celebrate you. Thank I will you. tell you that. Thank you. <laughs>
Uh, looking at, you know, your work in broadcasting and creating relationships with players and coaches and the staff members, I'm sure over a number of years, it's definitely easier because you get more comfortable getting to know the people. But what is that like getting to, uh, you know, create those relationships off covering the team too? It's interesting because the average fan would say, oh, you get to be friends with the players. How awesome is that? And I try to explain to them, no, I'm not friends with the players. Mm -hmm. I've never looked at it that way, whether I was a broadcaster or a newspaper writer. But there is a relationship, no question. Right. And um, like any coworkers, you're going to have uh, relationships that mean more to you with some than with others. And, um, you know, that's definitely the case. I mean, I, I always tell a story about when the Ducks won the Stanley Cup, the night they won the Cup, um, after, because I was at the register then covering the Ducks, and mm -hmm. after we were all finished writing our stories that night, a couple of other sports writers said to me, you know, hey, we're going to go back down to the locker room and see what's going on. You know, do you want to come? And I'm like, no, I, I, you know, it's not really my place to do that. I, I don't want to do that. So they left. And I thought about it for a second. And I thought, you know, I am going to go down. I, I just want to see what's going on down there. And this is a, a once in a lifetime situation, perhaps. So I went down to the room and, um, you know, the security guards let us in, which I'm not sure they were supposed to. <laughs> but... Um, it was wall. This was hours after the game, but it was still wall-to-wall -wall people inside the room, players, families, friends, whatever. And I remember walking in the room, and the first thing I saw was Chris Pronger, who had a, a pretty significant shoulder injury that he had suffered in that game five. But he still not only found the strength to play the game, but he was raising the Stanley Cup and letting people drink out of it. Um, and I w thought that's that's pretty impressive, mm -hmm. but. Um, the, the point of the story, which I'm making way too long, <laughs> was um, as I was in the room, J.S. Jaguar came up to me, uh, who's one of my all-time favorites, and he said to me, congratulations. And I'm like, Jiggy, why are you congratulating me? I didn't do anything. You guys won the cup. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, he goes, you've been around for a long time, and, and you've, you've seen all this happen, and you, know, you deserve congratulations too. And I didn't buy what he was saying, but I thought it was incredibly uh, nice of him to think in those terms and to tell me that. And I pulled him aside uh, later, and I just told him how much that meant to me that that he would even say that. And he said, well, you know, you deserve it. And I'm like, no, I, I really don't. But you know, J.S. Daguerre, along with a lot of other guys, is one of the people that I always felt like no, we weren't friends, but we had a certain bond from having a professional relationship. And I cherish those mm -hmm. because it's it's really cool to, um, you know, to see Tamu Solani and have him treat you like a friend mm -hmm. or Paul Correa or, uh, you know, Scott Niedermeyer and some of the lesser known players too. Um, one of my all-time favorites is a, a guy that most Ducks fans have probably forgotten but Pavel Trinka, who was a defenseman way back, um, you know, he was he was a really cool dude, and I really enjoyed getting to know Pavel Trinka. So, 
uh, it is neat to, to have those relationships with players and coaches too. One last thing. I know you mentioned it. You're a country music fan and a classic rock fan. So if you're driving to the rink, is that what you're listening to? It is what I'm listening to. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny doing what I do for a living now. Um, I'm not a fan of talk radio, uh, mm -hmm. sports talk or news talk. My wife is. She loves listening to talk radio. I don't. Like, I want music. I mm -hmm. listen to music when I'm working. I listen to music, uh, you know, in the car. Um, that's definitely what I'm listening to. And it's funny because someone was joking this morning about the Ducks players being country music fans because country music was on in the locker room. And, uh, you know, to me, that's awesome because I love country <laughs> music and I love classic rock. So uh, definitely that's what I will be listening to. And that gets you in the mode to broadcast the game? It does. When I'm, <laughs> when I'm doing my prep work at home, I will have music on and uh, be playing my playlist and it'll be filled with country and classic rock. And uh, unless I really need to concentrate where mm -hmm. I need quiet, I'll have music on. Just like the players, broadcasters have routines too. Dan Wood, so great to have you join us on Light the Lamp right here in studio. Thank you, Alexis. It's been fun and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. And it's time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. The Anaheim Ducks are hitting the road for a long Canadian road trip next week with their next game coming on Monday against the Ottawa Senators at 4.30 Pacific time. You can listen to it right here on Duckstream as always as Steve Carroll, Dan Wood, and Josh Brewster will have the call. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp this week. And as always, I am Alexis Downey. Come back again for more hockey talk right here on Duckstream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.